1: So if you love the show, please donate. Leave you,
0: leave you, how could I leave you, how could I
1: go it alone, could I wave the years away with a quick goodbye,
0: how do you wipe tears away when your eyes are dry,
1: hey everyone, Sweet welcome back to part two of my interview with the Tony and Emmy award winning actress Donna Murphy. Keep When we left off, Donna was about to tell us the story of her being cast as Fosca in Stephen Sondheim's musical, Passion, a role for which Donna received her first Tony Award. Welcome, Donna Murphy. A-OK!
0: was doing a workshop of a beautiful piece that Michael John LaCusa wrote called Hello Again. And we were in, I think, the second stage of workshopping it. And I got a call from my agent that I had an audition the next day for a new musical that Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine, who I worshipped. I mean, completely worshipped, both of them. And had not yet worked with. I had auditioned for both of them many times. And there had been interest, but... I think they didn't really remember me from audition to audition because I seemed very different and I was one of those people who like to reinvent myself. Sure. This is the character. I'm coming in. Not I'm in a sailor suit. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I never sang the same song twice unless I was asked to. I didn't have like that. Here's my audition book with up right. uptempos. It was always I needed to learn something that was really
1: you Just know, customized to that for that
0: part. But anyway, um, with passion the audition was the next day. Maybe it was two days. And I I said, what's the character? I said, is it another whore? I was playing a whore in...
1: (laughs) Not another. (laughs) Hope so.
0: I seem to be auditioning and being cast Mm. as a whore a lot uh, or or auditioning for whores a lot. And I said, is another whore? I wasn't dismissing it because... Just curious. Just curious. Just curious. They said, no, she's a a 19th century consumptive neurotic. And I was like, even better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But is she a whore? Could she be a whore too? (laughs) An accordion (laughs) playing whore. Right. So So overnight you have to get... So something together for I, this is absurd.
0: They send me material. It's what I call her, her first aria. It's I read. And they send me a scene or two. And I look at it and I said, there's no way. There's no way that I can learn this. I mean, I could stick my nose in it and they could not, you know, and I could hit some notes for them. But that's not what I need to do to show them that I might have the capacity to play this woman. So I did a, you know a ballsy thing, I guess, but it felt like the right thing to do at that time. And I said, I can't come in at that time. I said, you've got to tell them this, this is a dream for me. I so want to come in, but I need a little more time. And so I was told that at that point, they didn't have another scheduled day of auditions. It was the same casting director. It was Lincoln Center. They were doing it at Lincoln Center. I was working for Lincoln Center. And I said, you know, and I'm doing this other show and I'm in work, work, we're workshopping it. Anyway, it all worked out because they did schedule another day, or they rescheduled the day. So they didn't find Fosca
1: that day, that and day. they did another day of auditions. And I don't
0: know exactly what happened because when I did audition, but I'll give you, you know, leading up to that, it was just, you know, the universe was working with me on this one because I ended up with like three consecutive days off. I was in an ensemble show, so that was not unheard of. Hello again. Hello. I had, I had, again. <laughs>
1: Why does she keep saying hello? I got it, Donna. Hi. Sorry. Oh, my God. So I had these
0: three days off. I just immersed myself in the material I was given. I asked for a synopsis. They would not give me the script, but they did give me a synopsis of the story. I knew it was based on a movie, but I was afraid to watch the movie. It was an Italian film, and I thought – I don't want to get something else in my brain too strongly. And
1: Have they sent you the music as well? They
0: sent me her first piece of music. It was the only thing that he had written for Fosca, I believe, at that point. So you could hear it. I read. The whole character was in that song. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. But I looked at it and I thought, I feel like, for me, this woman would sing this lower. If she were ill and this this melancholy woman. I believe they said consumptive. And she was a very, you know, depressed and melancholy character. Anyway, I asked a lot of questions. They said, yes, you can play with the key. I worked with the brilliant Paul Ford. We played with keys. And at home, I just decided that I was going to try to kind of create this character. And I remember... I didn't bathe for a few days. I didn't wash my hair. I had very short hair at the time, super short hair. And I remember (laughs) my husband, Sean, sitting across the breakfast table from me one morning and saying, "Um, just just need to ask you, you know, is it necessary for me to have breakfast with with Fosca? You don't even have the gig, you know. And I, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to imagine how she would, you know. Like, eat, how much energy is required to lift the spoon if you haven't eaten in three days? And if you had a seizure the day before, I'm kind of thinking like a hangover. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just, you know, these different things that I was doing. And he, he just said, oh, my God, you know, if you get this job, it's it's going to be a very interesting experience. <laughs> but I'll never forget, do I have to have breakfast with Fosca? Yes. You know. For um, a long time, you know. as it turned but, out. Well, so and then I went in a, and auditioned. And do you I remember re- the audition? Vividly. First of all, I remember sitting in the waiting area and Daniel Sui coming out and saying, Donna, Donna, and he didn't recognize me.
1: And he had just cast you in I, he, Hello Again. I've been,
0: uh, you know, hanging yeah. around rehearsing, but I was playing this, you know, voluptuous... Whore. whore and even though I wasn't costumed, I kind of, you know, you sugge- I, when I'm rehearsing something, I, I try to help myself get there a little bit. Sean probably you
1: know? liked it better when you were playing, <laughs> yes. do I get to eat breakfast every morning? I hope this show goes on for a long time. With a whore. With a whore. <laughs>
0: she was a very generous woman. Yes, she was. Um... So he doesn't recognize, so he doesn't recognize me. I go in, and I do remember. I believe I started with the song, and I would worked hard on it. But it, and it's you know, other people have said that's not an easy piece of music. And I said, all I can tell you is, it once I started to get a sense of who this person was. For me, it flowed. There was a flow to it, and I think that's because. Stephen is a genius, and he knows how to write character, and he writes as the character. And I learned during the course, once I actually got that job, the nature of the collaboration between these two genius men, Mm. because James writes monologues, and Steve sets and scenes, and together they choose, or Steve has an instinct to set some of that to music and some of it not. So the poetry is a shared poetry you know between them and the character is just he can't help himself he writes as the character and and he this is what puzzles me about whether there actually ended up being an earlier casting session because he said it was the first time he heard the song and I remember later on certainly not that day I mean I finished and he said very nice and I still was in like a zone and I knew I had scene work to do and I had you know, I was carrying something with me, just something very personal to help me um, kind of get places I needed to, I thought she might need to get to. You and, mean a prop with you? I mean a very tiny photo, actually, that uh-huh. was just, I knew it was, it was in the room with me. Right. You know, those are the things that, it's funny, I studied with Lee Strasberg years later. You do what you need to do. I use my imagination and circumstances of the script, but my God, you do what you need to do. Sometimes you dig your fingernail into your hand sometimes you just breathe and trust and it's it's different from job to job. So you know, in that situation, there was there was definitely there were some things in my history that had nothing to do with you know this woman was compulsively pursuing somebody. And when I mentioned to Steve because he said, Sondheim. The way is when I said to Steve Sondheim, Mr. Just Sondheim, you know, he said, "You knew this character. You, you, how? How, right. how did you know? How did you have this handle on her so quickly?" And I, I said, "Well, there, there definitely were some things in my life that maybe five or six years ago, you know, had not happened that that informed, as I think about it, uh, certain elements of her character for me." And he always wanted to know what that was. And I, you know, I I did ultimately tell him it in in a not, I didn't tell him every detail of it, but it wasn't what he expected, you know. um, Because for us, you know, we're always translating our own experiences. Was it about love?
1: Was it connected to
0: love? No. No. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was about how I perceived myself Mm. and how I thought others perceived myself, uh, perceived me, rather. And it was both. In a big, you know, over over a long period of time, and then also really specific to a a specific uh, to a particular time. Was that your first Tony for Passion, or was that your second Tony? It was my first nomination, my first Tony, and my first time originating a role on Broadway, and that's incredible. And my first time, you know, cry just talking about it because, to me, I remember I got the workshop, and I just worked with uh, somebody who had worked with James, and. And James in the audition, you know, he can be kind of a shy guy. And I'd auditioned for him before, and sometimes I remember auditioning auditioned for him for a production of Merrily, and I'd sung, you know, Not a Day Goes By, and I'd finished. And he said, well, I never imagined it sounding like that. And I don't think he necessarily meant it as an insult. It just was not what he imagined it sounding like. I didn't get the job with him on that one. But... I was called in for a number of other things for him, and, and I think he, you know, found me somebody of interest. But I thought, wow, this character, I really need to trust a, you know, director, and I and I hope this director will trust me. And I remember Sean saying, "It's a workshop. It's perfect. You know, you're going to work together and see how it goes." And I remember thinking, I can't believe they're not going to get a big, huge. Talented Broadway star, you know, to play this role.
1: But I just took it day by day. By the way, you know, they did. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's what happened. I mean, you became a big, huge Broadway star from that show. And yet, for me,
0: the experience, it was the day to day of being in a room with people who cared so much.
1: Is that where you met Marin? Yes. Your beloved Maren Meezy. Yes. And and I remember sitting and having lunch out at
0: the Fountain at Lincoln Center, you know, a few days into rehearsal and just like spilling our, you know, our Our hearts and guts to each other. And um, I can't say enough about that woman. She's a good one. She is a good one.
1: So – are you superstitious before you go on stage? Are you very ritualistic before you perform? I, I'm not superstitious, but I do
0: have certain rituals, but they're different for each show. And they and you find them as yeah. you go. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, with with certain shows where I'm playing a biographical uh, I, an actual person who lived, I like to um read something that they wrote, mm-hmm. you know, read something before you or, go on, you know. That, or if right. I've uh, in in film, I've played, you know, women who have actually walked on this earth. So I like to read something that they've written, and most of them have, have written. And that's how we know their stories. With Fosca, I remember I used to. Uh, she she loved to read, so I would read some of the things that, you know, she might have been reading.
1: At, at that time, time and that, that world. Time, um, so Fosca and that audition could not have been a more successful experience. You that spoke was of some yeah. some times that you had auditioned for James and Stephen, my good friend Stephen <laughs> Sondheim. He's coming on right after Stevie. you. He's the next. He's the next guest. Is there an audition that you can remember in particular that's funny now? That wasn't funny at the time. The audition for their playing our song is yeah. kind of amusing. Because and that's your Broadway debut? That was my Broadway debut. And your so, dancing debut, which makes me think of you as a dancer as so, far as I'm concerned. So there's, there, there's a little hook. There's a little connection okay. here. So
0: I'm taking a class at NYU called Survival in the Theater. And one of the assignments is to pick an audition from one of the trade papers and go to the audition. Little does the teacher know, you know, I'm doing this like... <laughs> Any chance oh, I okay. can. okay. I get credit for this? Oh, oh, yes. I'm following the rules. So I pick, they're playing our song. They're holding auditions for a swing. They do have a swing, but they need a second swing. That swing was more of a dancer, and they needed, they wanted somebody who was a strong singer. Anyway, I go to the open call. I get typed in, um, meaning I'm the right height, the right look. I probably fit in some, you know, maybe, maybe could fit in the existing costumes. Who knows? Um I get to sing my 16 bars of... Oh, oh they're playing our song. Oh, no, yeah, they're playing no, our I
1: song. Did, I did. Well, but look at look who's singing now, lady. I love that Look who's singing. Cool. is uh, it fun? I can't go to Quag without thinking about going to Quag. <laughs> Quag. <laughs> we still aren't there yet. If we're doing better than... We, I, I oh, know it backwards and forwards uh, anyway. It's,
0: it's such a fun and I don't They should revive it. Yes. They really should. Too late for me.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, yes. I'm telling that you, if this another were another not a podcast, Cast, but a film in a very
0: large theater. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, no problem. We
0: sang, you know, you sang the song. I, I was singing something from the me nobody knows. See, I still remember this world. I was singing sixteen bars from this world. Wait, I don't know. Well, how does that go? Oh. Well, I sang, you know, the part where I could riff the most. You know, this world, this world, my mind holds this world. My mind holds this world in its hands. But I sang, and when I think about this world, I can shape it just like clay. Anyway, and I did all kinds of crazy things, so they could hear every note I could possibly sing on the staff and off it. So I sang, and I got typed in further than I had. I was a singer who moved well. Final callback. I'm put in a group. Pat Birch is the choreographer, Patricia Birch. And as we're about to do the combination, I love that I'm saying the word combination. Because you're a dancer. Because I, you know, I was a singer mood Moodwell. Mm-hmm. She says, okay, everybody, see this girl right here? And she points to me. And I have my, my long hair down and my tushy and had my little leotard and tights on and character shoes that I borrowed from a friend. She said, I want you to watch her from the neck up because she gets this character and she gets what we're performing. Do not look at what her legs are doing. This is before we do the combination, and I'm like, I thought maybe she was kidding, and I look, I kind of smiled. That she goes, she just gave me this look, like you know what I'm talking about, lady or oh girl, kid, kid. I'm 18. No, no, I? am totally lying. I'm not 18. I got the job. I got the call that I got the job on my 20th birthday. Okay, so I'm 19. I think I think okay? we're okay. okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So anyway, but she gives me this look, like I'm not kidding. You know, you don't have it, but just do your best and.
1: God and speed. obviously
0: there was something good, and she was, you know, paying attention. From the neck up. So From the neck up. <laughs> And I would, you know, I just, I take a while because I'm not trained. But I do love to move, and I can move well. And I'm kind of fearless. I'll try anything. That's it. You know, and so... But at that audition, I'll never forget, and I remember the other, you know, some of the other people going, so sorry, you know, they, they felt so bad for me. And then I got the job. <laughs> and then you show up and yeah. they're like, but Donna, we just need your head. <laughs> You're just gonna, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to happen. your head. Is that <laughs> a problem? A, there's a transplant involved. No, she, you know, she said, I knew you were going to learn it because I saw that you would get a part of it. And then, Anyway, so that was my first job. And the thing is that when I work with a choreographer, I always say, you just gotta be patient. And and it's funny because some of the things that I've done the most dancing in have been these shows I've done at Encores, or that original, well, Wonderful Town originated at Encores. I also did Anyone Can Whistle there with Casey Nicola, who's no slouch as a choreographer or a director. And he, I also did Follies with him. I'd dance more in those shows than perhaps I danced in any shows prior to that, truthfully. So with Kathleen Marshall who directed and choreographed uh Wonderful Town we got together months ahead of time just to, so she could give me an idea of what she was thinking and, and the language of and it and the
1: sort of voca- the physical vocabulary
0: right. of it and and I just said you know I don't want to slow everybody else down I want I don't in my process so anything we can do ahead of time you know let, let me do. start working on it and similarly with with Casey I mean I think after follies Anyone Can can Whistle came after that, and he didn't offer me Anyone Can Whistle. I was doing a Drama League benefit, and we were honoring Angela Lansbury, and I performed a number from that show. And afterwards, she came up to me, and she said, have they called you? And I was like, for what? And she said, for Anyone Can Whistle. They're doing it. She said, you must play this part. And I said, no, nobody's called me about it. And I remember calling my my, uh, reps the next day and saying, I don't even know if I could do this job. I don't know if I could afford to do this job, but... Apparently, Angela Lansbury is calling like everybody involved and saying I should do this job. And I wonder if Casey was a little worried about the dancing because there was a lot to learn fast. But we just, you know, went into training as quickly as possible because it was a Steve Sondheim show that I could not say no to. And I remember actually being asked to do it and crying because financially, it just didn't seem like a smart thing. And there. Always were they were always happening during pilot season. Always during pilot season, where you have to be, you know, ready to jump and learn
1: twenty pa- pages pay, exactly. to go on tape
0: the next day. Yeah, yeah exactly, and look good, you know. Yeah. Or uh, in most, I mean, we I do was always best. relieved when it was somebody who wasn't supposed to, but necessarily be, you know, particularly good-looking. Right. Except that that's then my, my agent would add, but it's TV, right? So you still have to put makeup on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, but. You know, and I remember, you know, saying, "Oh God, I want to do this, but I can't really afford to do it. I need to get a pilot." And I remember my husband, God bless him, you know, in a cab with me. We just we were coming home from dropping my daughter at school, and he said,
1: "Look at your face. I'm looking at you. You have to do this job. Mm-hmm. It'll work it's, out. It'll make you so happy. It'll work out." You know, you keep you know, mentioning Sean, and, and I can't help
0: it. He's still uh, in my life. Of you know? course,
1: he is. And He's he, he thirty six
0: years. He was my partner.
1: Yeah, you know? and it is. It is not gone unnoticed or unspoken about that the first big job that you took after his passing beautiful Sean was playing a widow right I mean Dolly Levi is a widow who talks to her deceased husband the entire play as if he is right in front of her and I just have to ask you and forgive me because I know it's such delicate timing Mm -hmm. and information but what has that been like? And was that part of the decision? Obviously, it seemed to me that the schedule would be a great way to kind of ease yourself back into work with that a young, the beautiful daughter and, and, and his children and figuring it all out. Right. So I get that part. But for something to be so close. It's so interesting, Ilana, because Sean
0: passed and I forgot that I was committed to a second season of a PBS series that I'd done the previous year, Mercy Street. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, for PBS. And we didn't find out that we were picked up until February. And sadly, Sean was very ill at that time. And, you know, I, I remember seeing like an email about it getting picked up and congratulations. And, hey, Donna, give me a call. And I was like, la, 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 la. I, yeah, was, you had a lot And my on. reps were like, you know what, don't, just don't even. Be with we'll, your family. Just be where you need to be. And then... Sean, you know, passed, and this job was starting in a month and a half in Richmond, Virginia. And I could not imagine how I was going to make that work. So that's its own story. We made it work. I would never advise that scenario right. for to somebody be so raw with a, a, yeah. it It wasn't about and A little me. girl. It, it was about and, my yeah. daughter. It really was about. I mean, because jumping back into work actually was probably actually a great. great. And yeah. I was not playing a happy-go-lucky gal. Uh, you know, it, there was. There was room it, for all yeah, of this to yeah. be a part of it. Yes, and I also was coming back to a company I just worked with, so they could not have been more loving, um, you know, supportive, understanding. Um, just a beautiful group of people who were all there to do beautiful work. And and anyway, so but it was very hard on my daughter and and subsequently on me, but most importantly on her. It was just it was traumatic. It was traumatic to to lose your father and then have your mother get on a plane. Regularly, and she was coming back and forth. I came back from that, and she said, Mommy, will you promise me that you won't go away for another job? And I said, Yes, I have to find work here. And in the meantime, I'm thinking, It's not like I haven't been trying to find work here. It seemed like everything I was being offered, and I'd been limited for about five years with work uh, because Sean had had some other health issues, not what ultimately took his life, but things that would periodically make it clear that I couldn't commit to a year on Broadway. And I didn't want to be away from my kid six nights a week. Some people can do it. I, I came to you know, mothering this child. I'd been a stepmother younger uh, during my younger years, but this child came to me later in my life. I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be home with her. I did. So I liked doing the limited runs, and I, I did quite a few of them. But um, it seemed like... I got a couple of New York-based series, and either the pilots didn't get picked up, we did one season and we were canceled, or they moved the location, right. which happens a lot, you know. So after the second season of Mercy Street, I didn't know if there would be a third season. I knew that that was probably not going to be in the cards for me. And to my daughter, I said, "No, I mean, look, there may be something where I have to leave for a day or two, and we'll figure that out together. But no, I'm not going to do that. So my, you know, what I my goal." But my sort of dream job, my intention that I was putting into the universe was that ensemble television show shooting in New York. And I'd come home from auditioning, or maybe even a callback, for one of those jobs. And, like, my whole team called, you know, my manager and all the agents. And I thought that either means I didn't get a job or I got a job. Or something big is a brewing. And I thought, yeah, this is – it couldn't have happened that fast. And it wasn't that good an audition. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Doubtful. So they tell me about this – very unusual situation. They're looking for somebody to play one performance of Hello, Dolly. Of course I knew that Bette was doing it. I thought when I heard she was cast, I thought it doesn't get any better than that. That's, yes, she's that's born to idea. play it. That's yeah. brilliant. That she's willing to do it. Fantastic. Bravo. Gorgeous. Brilliant. And I'd never seen the show. I probably saw the movie because I love Streisand so much and thought of it as Funny Girl too. you know. Um, and... I knew Mrs. Malloy's material because when I was first in the city, that was the role that I would be called in for, whether it was for a replacement on Broadway or for, you know, regional theater productions. But they let you know um, it was for Dolly. Oh, they said it. We need, yeah. a, we need a Tuesday. Yeah. Do- they didn't know what day a it was Tuesday going to Tuesday Dolly. Be. It would yeah. be, I figured it would be a matinee, but Tuesday was the night that Bet wanted off and producers agreed would be the time that they wanted this other actress to play. And that's its own, you know, extended story. But for me, I'd not seen the show. I forgot she was a widow. For me, I just thought, once a week, I will get shot out of a cannon in a musical. And I haven't even done a musical in five years, and that was Into the Woods in the Park for a limited run. Um, and, And also, it's like, it's not quite a replacement. It's not quite an understudy. It's, you know...
1: It's its own thing. It's its
0: own thing. And it at that moment when I was like, I guess I didn't get the the TV gig or you don't think I'm going to get the TV gig, I, I was – it was almost upsetting to me just tr- the stress of trying to even consider something that was so outside the box. And yet, you know, maybe – but of course I had to consider it. We didn't know what the, fi- the business, you know, uh, deal would be. But I said, okay, you know what, you know what? I just have to read the script. It always has to start with that anyway. So that night I get Darmie into bed and I start to read the script and it's, you know, two and a half pages in and she's talking to Ephraim, her late husband. And I break down in tears and I thought, that's it, I can't do this. I can't imagine standing on a stage less than a year from now, a little over a year after my, it will have been a little over a year since my husband has passed. And, and, Talk, You know, playing a character who's 10 years out, 10 years beyond losing her husband, and still has this, you know, intense connection. I just don't know that I could, you know, say with confidence, I will be that stable person and will give you who this character should be. But I did read the whole play, and I thought, wow, it's it's really quite beautiful. And I was surprised because I just didn't remember because I'd never seen it.
1: Right. That it would be as deep you know, as it was. And then I
0: went and I read The Matchmaker. And that only brought me deeper into Thornton's world, Thornton Wilder's world. And I love Thornton Wilder as a writer, as a playwright, as a humanist. And then I chose three people in my life who know me really well in a very global way, both as an actress. They've either directed or produced a show I've done, are close with me, and know a lot about my personal life, know a lot about how I work. I knew a little bit about my financial situation. I needed to work. And I could talk candidly on all fronts. And I knew that I could trust them to not tell anybody because this had to be under wraps. And all three of those people in three separate conversations, they are not friends with one another, all said the same thing. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I think it's the perfect job. It could be the perfect job if you can make the right financial agreement if the narrative that surrounds, you know, you're doing this job, because there was some concern that, like, business-wise, oh, she used to be above the title. I mean, right. I had pulled out of a show that
1: was on Broadway but this But that'd season. be respectful yeah. and clear about what they were getting by having you.
0: Right. And I didn't want to be, also appear to be capitalizing on my husband passing, you know, like sensationalizing that in mm-hmm. some way. I was... Thinking about it's it a from lot. every perspective. It's a lie. I called my stepdaughters. I said, you know, is this going to be too hard for you to watch? You know, they gave me my blessing. I said, are you kidding? Dad's got a hand in this. Yeah. We know it. Oh. And um, I'd be a liar if I didn't say that it was a very challenging process. And I didn't arrive at her for me probably as early as everybody involved would have liked me to in the rehearsal process, you know. Um, uh, it was also the first time I worked on a play without Sean in my life beyond their playing our song, because I met him on my second job. Right. Um, and I w- and it was also the first time in over 25 years that I hadn't worked on a show, even if it was a week-long rehearsal. From day one. With a company. Yeah. It was just a very different process. It was It was challenging and lonelier than I'm, you know, it was still collaborative, because I had Jerry, and I had Warren Carlisle and our musical director, and all the assistants and and swings
1: and people who would come in and work with me. But it was very different. Well, can I just say as a member of the audience and the Broadway community Mm. that it's a gift for us. It's Mm. a gift for us to have you back on that Broadway stage. And Mm. it's a gift for us to get to cheer you and to see you take on something that's so iconic and put your own stamp on it and the generosity with which you have come into this production and the performance you're giving the raves you're getting the company loves you so much I and love them. and they, they welcome me say it so. all the time and uh, as a member of um, the world that gets to see you perform it's just been a magnificent magnificent thing to have you back on Broadway, where oh, you belong. You, so, Donna, thank you for being here. Oh, I love being here. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are Little Known Facts that now You know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hanger Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media, Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post-production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. ProMedia, sound vision. Find out more at ProMedia.nyc.